This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season nine of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and it's uh, coming to the end of season nine. It's crazy, but I looked at the schedule. We only have a few more episodes left before we're done and starting season 10. And Parenting Aces is going to go into its 10th year starting in a couple weeks, which is crazy too. But um, there's, you know, so much going on in tennis right now. And Things are starting to open back up. Um, I am planning to go to the USTA SoCal Level 1 sectionals next weekend. They're holding the different age groups at different facilities, but the 16s and 18s are going to be at our partner facility down at Barnes Tennis Center in San Diego. And then some of the younger age groups are actually playing at the club that I belong to that I play out of here in Orange County. So I'm excited about that and looking forward to seeing some junior tennis. Um, Those of you who follow know that I was at an event down at Barnes a couple weeks ago and there was a junior tournament going on then as well. And so it's kind of my first taste of live junior tennis, live college tennis, live pro tennis uh, since the pandemic hit. So it's it's been nutty. But uh, before we jump into this week's episode with our guest, Todd Whittem, who y'all know and love, I know, (laughs) um, I want to just remind you, if you haven't already, make sure that you're following us on our various social channels and the links to all that are on parentingaces.com and you can just click 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 to follow us on facebook twitter youtube instagram everywhere also want to make sure that those of you who are listening to this podcast if you want to watch the video version go on over to our YouTube channel and you can watch Todd and me just conversing and chatting and and see what we look like if you haven't already. And if you have not become a premium member of Parenting Aces yet, what are you waiting for? Please click on the join button on parentingaces.com. It's on the left side of the page. We'll have to go that way. It's backwards in the camera. And sorry, I don't know my left and right very well anyway, but hope you'll join us. Become a premium member. You get quarterly consults with me as part of your membership, which some people find helpful. I hope most people find helpful. And I love having those consults and getting to know the Parenting Aces community a little bit better. So, Enough of all that. Let me bring on Todd Whittem, our guest for this week. Todd, how are you? Welcome. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having me on once again. Uh, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. And I've got your website pulled up here. So if anybody is looking for information on Todd, the website's right there. You can just click away and go read a little bit more about him. But Todd, for those who don't know you, why don't you give our audience, and I I don't know how they don't know you at this point if they've been following Parenting Aces, but (laughs) give us a little bit of background on you, just the down and dirty one-minute version. 
Well, all right. So I grew up playing uh, junior tennis here in South Florida. I did pretty well. Um, I then played for uh, University of Miami, played two years. Then I played on the ATP tour for six years. And then I've been running a, a small private training system here in South Florida. I consider it my little private school for tennis players where I consider a tennis academy more of a uh, public schooling system. I run more of what I would consider a private schooling system. And, and I've been doing that for a little over a decade. So that's a little bit about myself. And, and you what- run it with your coach growing up, Pierre Arnold, who we're hoping to have on a podcast episode before we close out our year. So um, Pierre's been working with you since you were a kid. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit more of my upbringing of tennis. I was I was brought up by two Argentine gentlemen that were producing a lot of the champions in South Florida. So one is Pierre Arnold. And then there was another one, George Paris, who unfortunately passed away when I was 15. And, and, and both of those gentlemen were best friends and business partners. And so those were the two guys that guided me my whole career from when I was six years old all the way through my professional career when I retired at 26 years old. And now you and Pierre are working together to bring up the next generation. I love that. That 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 is correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So this week's conversation was kind of spurred by a Facebook post that you made recently. And I wanted to share with our audience that you and I have been going back and forth, back and forth for the last few weeks, trying to figure out what is it that we want to talk about as we close season nine of Parenting Aces and, you know, kind of start to bring things to a close. Um there's so many topics that we could hit on. And then you posted this printout. I guess it was like a newspaper clipping, or I don't know if it was from the book, the ranking book. Um, but it was, it, and I'll I'll have that on parentingaces.com for those of you who want to look on the website. But it was a, a photo of rankings from your junior years, right? Well, it was, it was really... Um... It was a ranking list of guys that, that were two years older than me. So I was probably in the 14. Okay. And then um, in the 16 and unders, it was two gentlemen that I competed with on, on the tour. One was Marty Fish, which I'm sure many of the viewers know. And I was able to compete against him a couple times on tour. And then another gentleman was my doubles partner, Michael Yanni, who went through college, played at Duke. And we were very good friends, still good friends. And uh, and we were and we were very close and doubles partners and, and we traveled uh, many weeks on the tour together. So you posted this ranking list and it kind of started this whole conversation about wow, there's so many names on that list. Where are they now? Kind of a conversation like whatever happened to so and so and so and so who was ranked number one or number five and. Um, you know, these these players just kind of vanished from the tennis world. They didn't go on to play in college. They didn't go on to play professionally. And, you know, I'm sure they've gone on to have productive lives in some way, shape or form, but we don't know them in the tennis world anymore. And right. it kind of kind of sparked this idea of having a conversation with you, Todd, about how important are rankings and ratings in junior tennis? Why are we so dang focused on, you know, the UTR of the kid that our kid's playing or, you know, disrupting our, our own ranking if we don't play enough tournaments or play the right level of tournaments? What is that? 
it's something pretty new. <laughs> oh. I mean, it's not something I dealt with growing up because we got rankings once a year. So right. um, I'm trying to think the rankings for the Florida section when I was growing up, they maybe came out maybe quarterly, something like that. And then you wanted to see if you could qualify for nationals based on your sectional ranking. So that was always, you know, pretty important. You know, you were trying to get into maybe, you know, uh, maybe an Easter Bowl or Super National Clay Courts or, or a Hard Courts or even a Kalamazoo, you know, Hard Courts for 12s and 14s and Kalamazoo for 16s and 18s and, and you know, the same for the girls as well. So, you know, the, well, I'll explain a little bit about that list, which I thought was really incredible. So I'm part of a Facebook group that's Florida Tennis of the 90s. And so that's very a, specific. <laughs> what's that? I said, that's very specific. Yeah. So you know, you had to have been a, you know, former player and, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, printouts and rankings and how players did on tour and, you know, old draws that are crazy to look at, you know, years later and everything. I guess, I guess we're pretty old now. You know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so I took one of those, I took the printout. The, and I took a I took a picture of it, and it was the 16s ranking list for for the boys, and it was Marty Fish and this gentleman Michael Yanni, okay, and it and it showed the top 32 players, and there there's maybe like 150 or 200 players ranked in Florida at that time uh, in each division, and uh, but it but that cutout just showed the top 32 players at in the 16 and unders. Number 32 was Marty Fish. Number 28 was my doubles partner and, and longtime buddy and even a guy that I played with in the 12 and unders, even though I was two years younger than these guys, and his name is Michael Yanni. Okay, so keep in mind, Marty Fish got to number seven in the world in the singles rankings on the ATP Tour, had an incredible career, incredible player, and I had the privilege or maybe not so much of a privilege to play fight. <laughs> yeah. He beat me twice. But they were good matches. One was, one match was extremely close going deep into the third set. But but anyway, and then Michael Yanni, who was a very good player, but he was ranked 28 on this list. And he did not start in the singles lineup at Duke University for his first two years of college tennis. Okay. Interesting. So this could be a big eye-opener for parents. And, and keep in mind... The rankings were as simple as this when I was being brought up through junior tennis. If you beat players higher than you, you, you got a better ranking. If you lost to players lower than you, you, you may have dropped. Mm -hmm. That's how simple it was. Right. right. It had nothing to do with points per round and nothing to do with, with what level tournament you played or how far you got in that tournament. It was right. strictly who you beat and who you lost to. I believe it was. Maybe there were points, but I, you know, we didn't pay attention to that at all. I, I don't, I don't really. I just know that when, when, I, when I had good tournaments and I beat players that that were that were ranked ahead of me, and then then I moved up. You right. know, simple as that. It wasn't. There was nothing really complicated about it. Um, you had to play a certain amount of sectional tournaments to try to qualify for nationals. You know, and 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 that was that was really it. I mean, and so. You know, and, and also the, the, the amount of tournaments that we were playing were, were much less than what's going on now. Right. I remember I was maybe playing maybe 10 to 12 tournaments a year. At, yeah. at, right. So there were big training blocks to get better to try to peak for certain tournaments. It could be a big, oh, it could have been a smaller national, maybe, maybe a, a bigger national tournament, you know, th those types of things. Mm -hmm. So, but, 
remember training months for, say, a super national tournament, and then playing uh, a warm-up tournament the week before that super national tournament, and then playing that big tournament. Yeah. So parents, parents look at me like I have uh, three heads now when I say that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, I mean, tournaments have become big business, let's face it, and right. we all know that. Um, it's not that the tournament directors are making all that much money off of them, but the good ones are. And, um, you know, the, the organizations that are behind the tournaments, the USTAs, the UTRs, etc., they're making money off these junior events as well. And so it has become a business, unfortunately. And just like every other youth sport, we're seeing so much pressure to, you know, not miss anything, not fall behind. It's that whole FOMO thing, right? The fear of missing out. We don't want our kid to fall behind their peers. But I remember, and I don't know if this was the case when you were coming up, Todd, but when I was a kid, we talked a lot about indirect wins too. Like that was a big thing. I never hear kids talk about that now. Right. Yeah, that was that was the thing that you'd fool around with with your buddies. Be like, hey, I beat Andre Agassi because of this and that and that. And that. if you put that together, I'm, I won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I beat so-and-so who beat so-and-so who beat him at some right. tournament when he was eight. Right. <laughs> but I mean, it was kind of fun to play those games. And, you know, it made the, the rankings you know, a little lighter topic of conversation. Whereas now it's, it seems to have become just way too important and way too much the focus. And even with UTR, which, you know, the, the theory behind UTR was to get people of like levels competing against one another. So it was fun. So the matches would be close and competitive and, you know, and that's unfortunately, just like everything else, people have started kind of toying around with it, trying to find the loopholes. How do I boost my UTR? Well, if I avoid playing this kid or avoid playing that tournament, then my UTR, you know, might go up and, you know, then all the college coaches are going to call me, right? It's it's that attitude. And I, I, I keep trying to push this hashtag truth in tennis. Um this is about truth in tennis right now. Right. Why why do we need to get away from focusing on these numbers? Because I believe the goal for any serious tennis player and, and, and their parents is the process of how you're going to get better. And those numbers will improve when you have that type of mentality. Whether you're doing well or not so well at that present time, it should always be in your mind, how do I get better? What do I need to work on? What do I need to improve? You know, and there's so many things that a developing junior player can get better at. So looking at numbers and ratings and rankings, that doesn't really make much sense to me. So I have parents that call me, you know, and they tell me their, their son or daughter's UTR. And uh, it's a 9 this or a 10 this or a 12 or this or that. And I really have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm gonna, <laughs> I have no idea because for me, when I go and, 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 and go through an assessment with, with a certain, certain player, whether it's a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 18-year-old, a college player, whatever it is, the only thing that's going through my mind is how can I help this player get to higher levels of tennis? What do we need to do on a daily basis to help this individual achieve what they would love to achieve with their tennis? Mm -hmm. And so I don't look at the numbers. Um, every once in a while, I'll look at a tennis recruiting just to get a little bit of a basis in my mind 
of, you know, of, of where this child is at, how the last couple of years maybe have gone? Have they, have they stayed, you know, kind of around the same level, you know, have, have they really gotten better or have they really gone the wrong way? But other than that, I don't pay attention to it at all. I'm always, like I said, very absorbed in how do I help these players become much better players and achieve their goals. And well, so, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm going to interrupt. Um, as Polly Schulte told us last week in last week's podcast, you know, this assessment that you do with these players is pretty in depth, but it's quick. You have done this long enough and Pierre's done this certainly long enough that you can tell a lot by watching a player hit for 10, 15, 20 minutes, right? You, you get a sense of their technique. You get a sense of their movement. You get a sense of their mental, you know, the mental side of their game, their, their strength and being able to have a short memory and, you know, just put the point behind them and move on. Um, there are all sorts of things that you're looking for in an assessment, none of which have to do with a ranking or a rating or how many stars a kid has. No, you know, in fact, you know, when I was brought up by these two Argentine gentlemen, the number one rule was you play with anyone and everyone. So you may have to win matches 6-0-6-0. You may, you know, be in a very tough match. You may be getting drummed yourself badly in a, in a match, right? But you play anyone and everyone. And so, you know, the, these numbers and everything, I believe, is taking away from that. And I can tell you a little story. My mother, <laughs> my mom, tough, tough mother. But anyway, so my mother, a boy named Andy Roddick, came into Florida around maybe 12 or 13 years old. And uh, he's about six months older than me. And Andy would drum these players in the first couple rounds. Like he should. 0-0, oh 1-1. Oh, one one. He beat them bad. And then there was Todd Whittem. And Todd Whittem would be struggling. And Andy would be off the court in 45 minutes or an hour. And Todd Whittem would be going an hour and a half hours. He'd be <laughs> down breaks in the second set against someone he should drum. And he's down 4-1. And he's down 5-2. And he's got to gut it out and figure out a way. And very stressful. And, you know, and, and, and they became very tough matches. Because mentally, I had trouble sustaining a certain level of play throughout my matches at, at a young age. I'm and having anxiety just listening to you talk about this. Because... I cannot tell you how many matches I sat through like that, you know, right. when my son was playing. It is so nerve-wracking, and you just want to, you know, say, what are you doing? And, and not only that, it shows you how well I could focus, is that my mother used to count how many times I'd look at the other courts because the other courts were so <laughs> fascinating. I'm watching these battle, and they're good players, and, and so I'm watching. So she would count how many times I'd look over and watch them play. And so she was trying to chart, um, you know, each match is Todd's, uh, you know, is Todd's concentration level getting better because he's not looking over at all the other courts to see how they're playing, right? So, you know, I always enjoyed watching, you know, players play of all levels, especially sure. when we were kids and pro, whatever. So, you know, so it was hard. And then I became 15, 16 years old, and I was really able to zero in and concentrate better. And then I started you know, beating up on, on the players that, that I really should have been beating up on. And so, but Andy had that at a very young age. It was very impressive how he could zero in and focus on every single point. And I had trouble with that. It took me years to uh, be able to become, you know, mentally very stable to do that. And so, what do you attribute you know, that to, though? 
I don't know. I, I just think, you know, mental maturity comes at different ages. You know, I, I was a little bit late and I, and I tell the parents that I trained really well with, with these two gentlemen that were producing a lot of the amateur and professional champions in South Florida in, in the, in the late 80s and early 90s and early 2000s. So, you know, I started physically growing when I was about 15 or 16 years old. I was always a little bit undersized for my age. And, and so it started to come together. But when I was training and I was training really well and really hard at a young age, it took me from about six or seven years old to about 15 or 16 to really hit my stride. So imagine, you know, all those years of putting in some really great training and then it coming together. So in today's age, everything is fast, right? We all want fast. We want, kid, we want, we want our child within a couple months to be winning tournaments and producing and, and, you know, and, and, and doing all these things. And, and parents are counting the dollars and are we making a good investment? Are we making a mistake? And I'm going to tell you that it took me eight to 10 years to become an elite player in, 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 in the state and in, and in the country. So, so they're like, Whoa, what, what do you think would have been different for you if you had had instantaneous and constant access to your rankings? Well, I think about this quite often because I, I speak I speak to the parents of, of the kids I train as well as the kids, is that, you know, I was very good and I was brought up that whatever the coach said, you did, right? And so I guarantee you that between Pierre and his late partner, George, they would have said, I don't want you looking at that at all. Mm-hmm. And I can guarantee you, they spoke, you listened, and you applied. And that's the way it was. So I, you know, I, I think of these things, but they would have said, don't do it. And I would not have done it. I guarantee it. Because mm-hmm. I, I just wonder, you know, what t- type of not just psychological impact having constant access to ratings and rankings has on these kids, but also what it does to their drive to keep getting back out there when maybe they're not seeing their ranking improve as quickly as they would like, or their UTR improve as quickly as they would like, because they're in a development phase. They're not in a phase that's focused on winning, but rather, you know, preparing their game for that next level. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you have to have a very clear picture of, of what you're trying to accomplish on a daily basis. And when you when your child gets off the court, they should feel very proud of what they did at that day's practice, whether it's maybe something technical and now they feel better about it. Maybe it's something emotional. Maybe it's uh, tactical, whatever it is, maybe maybe physical. Maybe maybe they got in, in great shape. They had a great tough workout or, you know, maybe they were able to maintain a certain amount of balls on certain spots on the court, you know, more, more in a row. So so that was, you know great to accomplish that that day um so you know those numbers are all a all a result uh, a result of how you're doing in your practice right Mm -hmm. parents understand this is that when you send your child to school right and 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 they and they and they study in school and then they do their homework they have their test right and the test shows how well they're doing their preparations right they're in class work and their homework. Tennis is no different. And Pierre used to, you know, used to explain this to me all the time. 
is that the training is the homework and the tournament is the test. And however well you do on that test, you're now coming back to training and we're going to continue to work and, and develop the areas that, that we feel like you need to develop. And, uh, and that's the way it was monitored for me my whole career. And, and it's uh, a test. It's not a final exam, right? It's right. It's not final destination. Right. right. If you think it's final destination, then is it over for your child? I hope not. Right. Because I've never met a kid that's so well put together that they can't get better. Yeah. Right. And, and so, you know, if they were that, then you'd see them, you know, tops in the world on, on the ATP or WTA tour. Right. And even the top players, we see constantly tweaking their games, right, to improve, you know, little things. And it's that, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot. It's that going on the court and saying, I want to get 1% better today. So it's that 1% and it's a cumulative thing. So it's 1% today, 1% tomorrow. By the end of three months, that's a lot of 1% that add up, hopefully, to some big improvement. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, every accomplished player that, that I know of thinks of it, in, you know, incrementally like that each day. Am I getting better? And, you know, what am I improving? What am I trying to improve each and every day? And then the result of that is that you should be having better showings in your tennis tournaments, right? It, it, it doesn't work the other way where, you know, you put pressure on the child and, you know, you're playing a UTR this and you need to win by this score and this and that and, that, and all of that is not relevant to this process. It's, it, it, really, it really is not. And not only that, you're going to put so much pressure on that child that competition most likely will not become fun and they're going to feel a lot of stress. They'll never be able to free up and be able to play the brand of tennis that, that they can in practice, which is under less stress. And I'm seeing that over and over and over again. Parents are contacting me, what to do, this and that. And, you know, it's uh, there's a certain process that you need to go through so that your child can play free in, in their tournaments. I would love to talk to Marty Fish about the fact that he was 32 in the rankings in Florida in the 16s and right. how he felt about that. If, if he even remembers that that was his ranking or cared about it at that right. stage of the game. Well, well, I can, I can tell you, I mean, if you want to talk about Marty a little bit, I, I believe I played him in the twelves, but also keep in mind that, uh, that he was, that he's two years older than me. Yeah. So, you know, he was a decent Florida player. And in fact, when they speak about Marty fish and Andy Roddick being brought up by a, by a certain coach in South Florida, he actually was one of my traveling coaches when I was on tour and a very good friend of Pierre. So I know very much of the process that, that that those two gentlemen went through to become phenomenal players and the best in the world, right? So Marty really came into his own a year after that ranking list. And I remember he, he became a, a, you know, a, a top national junior. I believe he came in maybe third place at Kalamazoo at 17 years old. And we were like, whoa, he came out of nowhere because this guy was not doing well. If you would have told me that the 32nd ranked 16 and under player in Florida was going to become top 10 in the world on the ATP tour, I would have said, you are out of your mind. There's <laughs> no chance ever that will ever, ever happen. And so you, can, you never know, and no one has a crystal ball of when players are going to put things together and how much drive that they have. These things can't be measured. 
So when you hear coaches that are like, this is the best best I've seen since this player, and you're going to be this, and you're going to be that, no, no chance, right? You can tell from, from training players that, okay, maybe they have amazing balance or footwork or maybe great eye-hand coordination or you know things that they do that are special. But to look that far into the future and predict how good they're going to be, no way. So what happened with Marty that summer between the 16s rankings and coming in third at Kalamazoo the next year? Well, I think he, I think he, he got into a different arena, a different type of coaching system. Um, my buddy brought up, you know, like I said, Andy Roddick and Marty Fish. I know exactly how he trained players, and it was under ver- very extreme discipline and a lot of tough workouts, a lot of tough physical training, um, and uh, it was through hard work. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it, there, there's no secret to it. I mean, you have to put in that work each and every day. If you're not, then, you know, things probably won't, won't work out too well. But I, I just think from the parent's perspective, you know, if you're looking at your own child's rating or ranking and thinking, gosh, you know, they're not even going to make quota for our section to go to nationals or, you know, there's no way they're going to be able to move to this next level of competition because the ranking's not high enough. How do we get away from that mindset and move into the the process of it's not about that. We've got to stop looking at these numbers and just focus on getting better every day. What what do you as a coach say to kids and to their parents to help them kind of move away from focusing on the ratings and rankings so much? Well, well, here, here's a, here's a perfect example. So I've spoken to a bunch of parents recently. Right. And, and, and I speak to them, you know, I run my system with Pierre and then another gentleman, Daniel Yu, who was an incredible player and trained under Pierre and everything. And one of the first questions that the parents ask me is about, you know, who, who's my child going to compete with, Todd? And I'm thinking to myself, wait, wait, hold on. If it's my child, I want to know the background of who's training the kids. I want to know, you know, who they've produced. I want to know the, you know, what, maybe what colleges they've gone through, right. Gone to, um, I want to know the background of these individuals, right. And, and, and the, you know, the, the level of players that, that they've trained the ages that, you know, all these things. And I don't get any of those questions. The questions I've been getting is who's my child going to be with that day. And I, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, well, they're going to be with Todd Daniel or Pierre every single day for five hours. Right. And, and they're not, they're not asking that. And, I, and, and so right then and there, I'm already thinking, you know, they're thinking the, the, the mentality, the thought process is not correct. Because if it's my child, I want to know exactly who is going to be putting in the hours with my child and what are the previous results and the experience of that individual mm-hmm. so that I'm with a person that understands how to develop my child. Yeah. And so, you know, it's been it's been a little surprising to me. To, t- to tell you the truth, because if you're thinking of rankings, if you're thinking of rankings and ratings, then you're not thinking of the process to be able to attain a great ranking and rating. You're thinking more short term. And as a coach, I'm thinking more long term in how to develop certain types of players and the games that need to be molded so that they're playing proper tennis and achieving what they would love to achieve with their tennis. So how important is it that the player and 
the parent to some degree, but really the player, express his or her goal for, for tennis and commit to that goal and then recommit to it periodically. Oh, it's crucial because you can, you can get, you can get sidetracked, you know, quite, quite easily. I mean, you need to have certain goals and things that you want to accomplish every single day. Like I said, every day that a, that a junior tennis player gets off the court, they should feel proud of what they did that day at practice. If they don't feel proud, number one, you didn't get better. And number two, don't get off that tennis court <laughs> until, until you feel that way, right? Something has to be accomplished. And right. if you're not, then you're not going anywhere. Well, and I'm just thinking from the parent's perspective, too, that when you pick your child up from practice, maybe the question isn't, you know, how did you play today or I don't know, whatever other question you want to ask them. But maybe the question is, what are you proud of today? And yep. get them to to maybe start keeping a journal and writing these things down and so that they have a point of reference as they go through this journey of, you know, maybe, I mean, every kid goes through a slump at some point and it's inevitable, right? And I lived through that with my son and I just, I was blown away at his ability to keep going to the court every day, even though he would get killed in these tournaments. Um, he was committed to doing that. And I think, you know, keeping tabs of what am I proud of when your child is in that slump, then they have this, maybe this notebook or journal to go back to and think about, you know, all right, I may have lost to so-and-so this weekend who's ranked way below me or rated way below me, but look at all the things I did in practice over the last month leading up to this that were positives. And that's what I need to keep doing. And at, at some point, I'm going to beat this kid, right? It's... Well, well, and, and going back to what you just said, if you know that you lost a certain player of their ranking and rating, does that help you? No, right? right? It doesn't, right? So what you really need to be doing, and, and for the parents that are listening, is that when your child goes and plays a tennis tournament and they, and they, and, and they see the draw and they're, and they're going to play that first player, the only thing that should be spoken about is how they're going to play that, that certain type of player. Anything and everything else doesn't matter. You're trying to execute a plan over a two out of three set match or maybe two sets and a breaker. Let's not talk about that. But anyway, <laughs> boring stuff. We could do that another time. But yeah. anyways, right? That's all that really matters. Did you execute your plan, point in and point out, and and then you move on from there? So, what you know, you run a parenting aces so let's talk about the parents when they start speaking about rankings ratings who this player has beaten who they've lost to all those things don't really matter but not only that it puts stress and pressure on your child it takes away what is most important which is competing properly and getting better and so when there's discussions like that in in the house when there's discussions like that after the match because a parent is upset because they lost to someone ranked or, or rated lower than them, those things don't help. They're, they're not helping. They're, they're, they're really just breaking down the child. And so, you know, th this is really important on, on how to manage a junior tennis player's career. And like I said, are you thinking short term 
or are you thinking more in the long term for your child and, and their development and what they would love to achieve? If you're thinking short term, I can tell you that the development at a certain stage is going to come to a screeching halt and you're going to wonder why your son or daughter is not improving. Right. And not only that, is hating tennis and ready to quit, right? Because well, if you don't keep getting better, then... Well, that, and, that, and that's, that's another thing. And, and I call it a non-growth mentality, right? So I see it with kids that maybe they're putting maybe a little bit too much stress on themselves or maybe their parents are putting a lot of pressure on them or whatever the case shall be is that the non-growth mentality is you're not playing the right way. You're concerned with things... That, that really, you know, aren't going to help you at all. And they're going to really, you know, hurt your tennis career. So, you know, that's, that, that's tough. But also, you know, the parents, it needs to be communicated to them on how to manage their child through this process, right? Yeah. I'm sure they're trying to do a great job, but you're kids that are not managed properly. And, and I think, you know, I get this question a lot that, you know, hey, you talk about how ratings and rankings, you know, aren't important, but the reality is if my kid wants to play these national events, they've got to be ranked at a certain level or rated at a certain level or they're not going to get in. That's all true. But I think, you know, let's talk about that piece of it, Todd, because, as you know very well, and I know from talking to you and other, you know, like-minded people, if you're training the right way and competing the right way and keeping your focus on the correct things, the ratings and rankings will just naturally come. There's no way to force that. Correct. Um, I mean, you can, you can have a ranking by point chasing, but what is it really worth? You know, when it when it really counts in the 18s or the latter year of the 16s, when you're starting college recruiting, college coaches see through that mess. They know yeah. the kids who have just chased points versus the ones who have steadily developed over the course of their junior career, right? Well, a college coach, their their profession and their job is to put together the best team that they can. So they're doing their research and so they, they understand that maybe, you know, kids are maybe doing things properly and maybe some kids are not doing things properly, right? It's their business, just like any other business, but it's their business to have the best tennis team that they can and the best student athletes that represent their school. So, you know, they, they, they know, they know what, 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 what types of players that, that they're recruiting. You can't really fool them. They, they, they know what they're doing. Right. So, I mean, to answer that argument of, well, ratings and rankings are important because my kid wants to play San Diego and, you know, national indoors and national clays and they can't get in if they don't have a certain ranking. How do you answer that? Well, sure. So obviously you're not having the, the results to be able to qualify for those events. So how do you get the results to qualify for those events? You get better and you improve and you get more determined or you know maybe you know maybe you need to find a better system for your for your for your child that 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 caters to you know those types of tennis players right how 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 does my son or daughter get to that get to that level because they really you know desire to be there right are they in the right right place are they really applying themselves are they getting better are they enjoying the process am i putting too much pressure on them 
you know, all of these things that, you know, really help or, or don't help, you know, the junior player. Right. And I mean, is it the kid's goal to play those tournaments or is it the parent's goal for the kid to play those tournaments? And that's a question that needs to be asked as well. Well, and, you know, and, and, and the thing is, is that it's very easy to tell which kids are all in and which are not. And so if your child is not all in, then just be happy that they're playing tennis and everything. But, you know, they're not going to achieve some really, you know, big lofty goals, but they're out there and they're enjoying the sport, which is, which is fine. It just depends on the, on the level of what that, that child would, would love to achieve. A parent can push for, for only so long and then, you know, the, the child either steps up and wants to do, you know, extra training and extra fitness, which is going to make them, you know, better players and more elite or, or they're not right. It, it comes down to that player. And so that's that's you know, that's up to them. Right. At what point do you call a child out on their goals? So let's say you get a, a 14 year old who says, you know, I want to play at a top five division one program. I want to be in the top three in the lineup at that program. That's my goal. And you say to that player as the coach, okay, then we're going to have to do A, B, and C at practice every single day. When you get off the court, you're on your own going to have to do D, E, and F and, you know, and parents, we're going to need you to do these other things over here to support this development and this, you know, progress toward this goal. And then let's say three months go by and you're not seeing the child do those things, or, you know, you're not seeing the parents committing to help the child do those things. How do you manage that? Because I, I think that happens a lot. I think a lot of kids say they want something huge for their tennis but when it comes down to it, and once they are kind of educated about what it takes to achieve those goals, they're like, eh, maybe not. Well, as my mother used to say, actions speak louder than words, right? So I know which, which kids are all in. They're going to go do even more than what I'm asking of them. They, they're going to they're gonna watch tennis on TV. They're going to study YouTube of their favorite tennis players and try to see how they're playing and and their techniques and these types of things. Those players are all in. They're going over and above the call of duty, right? And yeah. that's so easy to see. And then there's other kids that are saying, I want this or I want that, but they're full of it because they're not doing that, right? And so the reality is that there are players that achieve what they would love to achieve because they're doing and going over and above what the vast majority of other tennis players are not willing to do. And that's, and that's how, and that's what happens. And I think that's a struggle for parents a lot too. And, and I struggled with this when my son was coming up is, you know, once the parent has a clear understanding of what it's going to take for the child to reach that goal, if the child isn't putting in the work, isn't doing the extra things, as you mentioned, Todd, um, you know, it's, it's, you're in a tough situation as the parent, because on the one hand, you want to continue to support your child, but on the other hand, they need to take some ownership of what's happening and, you know, put forth the effort and, and do the little extras in order to 
help the parents feel good about making this time and money investment in their child. And it's an emotional investment too. Let's not forget that piece of it. Right. Well, I think, I think it needs to be communicated and it's a team effort and everyone is accountable, coaches, parents, and the students. Right. And so everyone has to, has to do their part and do their part very well. And so if someone is not doing their part very well, just like at a team at work, you should hear about it. There's a certain standard that needs to happen each and every day if, if certain kids have, have very lofty goals. And so now if the child is resisting and doesn't want to, say, go to you know, a certain type of school like what you just described, it could be a Stanford, UCLA, a Duke, Harvard, UVA, I mean, these amazing programs, then it doesn't mean that the parent is a failure, the child is a failure. That's not what that means. It means that, you know what, maybe you adjust the goals. You know, maybe you go to a little bit lower level college, but the child still loves to, you know, compete and play tennis and everything. You know what? There's 10 players in the whole world that go to Stanford and only six play, right? And that's the same for almost every single college lineup, male or female. So is your child a failure? Is the parent a failure? No, absolutely not. I mean, you're talking about a very small percentage and tennis is more global now than it ever has been. So if you think your child is amazing in their section or amazing maybe in, in, in the national rankings, it's all over the world. And if you took your child overseas, you'd see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it's one of these things where you get on this path and your child has said at age seven you know, I want to be number one in the world. And instead of revisiting that periodically through their junior development years, everybody's locked into that. Well, at seven, you said, you know, and maybe the child at age 12 or age 15, all of a sudden thinks, you know what, there are other things in life to than being number one in the world in tennis. And I'm not willing any longer to put this kind of investment into my my sport. I, there are other things I want to focus on. But the, the key is to have the conversations, right, with the coach, with the parents, with the kids. Everybody's got to be on the same page because where things really get messed up is when one of the three players – players, meaning the parent, the coach, the player, him or herself, when one of those three isn't being honest or isn't communicating clearly, that's when the wheels fall off the bus, right? Well, you know, the, the bottom line is, is, is everyone doing their part, right? Are, are the coaches communicating? Which starts with being honest. Right. It's, it's 100% honesty, right? Transparency. So, you know, are the coaches communicating to the parents on how to manage this? Are the kids doing their part at practice? Are the coaches really, truly invested in that child's tennis career and their mental, physical development, becoming a, a young lady, uh, you know, a young lady, a young man? The whole process, right? And it takes someone in your corner and, and, and a team to really make sure that things are going in the right direction and that you know, everyone is doing their part. And so, you know, that, that's really what it, what it, what it comes down to. Well, and we all need to understand that playing at a top five or a top 10 division one program 
isn't success versus playing at a number 50 division two or three program. Like one's not better than the other. It's just a different pathway and a different endpoint. And whatever works for a particular family, a particular child, that's what you have to pursue, but you have to have these conversations and you have to keep the communication open so that everybody's on the same page. Because from the parent's point of view, if, if I think my kid wants to play, let's say UCLA, cause that's my alma mater. Um, but in reality, my kid's happy playing at, I don't know where, um, Wash U, which is a, a really good division three school. Yep. Um, you know, it's a different pathway to each of those places, right? right. It's, it's, it's the same to a, to a certain point, but then once the kid gets to about 15, 16, it, it becomes different. Well, the, the, the bottom line is that if you're really, truly invested in this, it's have I put my child in the best arena and in the best hands for this to become a reality and then from a parental perspective it's out of your hands right it's then up to your son or daughter and 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 the coach and and you can't control that right you can control it as much as you want you could you know be angry you can be happy when they win you could go nuts in the car you can do whatever you want but it's not up to you and that that's difficult i think for some parents to understand because you know, the, all the investment of the, the time, the energy, the money, they want to be, you know, really helping their child and da, da, da. But ultimately, they're not the ones that are going out to hit the tennis ball and compete well and train well and do the extras that are needed to become an elite athlete. Right. And so, you know, it's that that's really what it comes down to. Right. I read an article earlier this week uh, that was in the Atlantic and it was more about lacrosse and um, fencing and rowing, I think, um, were the three sports that it focused on in the Northeast and, and these Ivy League schools and their, you know, their college programs and these very elite sports and uh, the parent perspective, getting a child to an Ivy to play the sport at that level. And right. it was really upsetting to read the article. I tweeted out the link and I'll post the link in the show notes for those of you watching or listening. Um, and you can read the article for yourself and, and see what you think. But I feel like it's, again, youth sports have become such big business, right? College sports are such big business, but right now with the pandemic, you know, we've seen so many cuts happen in college tennis and we had another one just happen at Fresno state. I mean, it's just, it's heart wrenching every time one of these programs gets cut. So what's the big picture here? You know, what are we doing all this for? We have to keep focus on the fact that it's not about a rating. It's not about a ranking. It's not about how many stars our kid has. It's about putting our child in an activity that's physically beneficial for them, emotionally beneficial for them, where they're going to make some friends in different areas of town or areas of the state or areas of the country or areas of the world, depending on what our situation is and if we can afford to travel and 
want to travel. Um, it's about teaching our kids responsibility and teaching them to be self-starters and teaching them, you know, to take ownership of the things that are important to them. I mean, there's so many facets to this that have nothing to do with how you're rated in the Southern section, right? No, I, I agree. I mean, when, when you look, when you look at it, you know, as, in, you know, as a whole is that what you're going to take from tennis is not the ranking or rating, you know, in the future, what you're going to take are the disciplines, you know, being on your own, learning how to compete, accountability, bringing a certain standard of professionalism and discipline each day. Um, you know, what, what, what these tennis players go through on a daily basis are things, and, and if they're doing it properly, are things that they will not learn in the classroom. And school is always number one in my, in my book, but I'm telling you that if this is done properly, it's going to change your child's life. Now, how many kids are really doing this at a high level? I'm not talking about playing at a high level. I'm talking about the standard of training, discipline, professionalism each and every day. How many kids are doing that? Well, most don't really know what that means, right? But, but what I can tell you is that if you find someone, a coach or an arena that specializes in this, it's going to be life-altering for your son or daughter. So you know, that, that's, that's, if I was a parent, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I look for, for my son who's playing junior golf. Right. And I did a, I did a post on that on yeah. Instagram the other day and, and, and about parents and, and, and that type of situation. But that's what I look for. Um, you know, no one has a crystal ball of how good a player is going to be. There are players on the ATP tour that had phenomenal careers. And if you would have asked me if I would have thought that they would have had a top 50 tennis uh, ranking in the world on the ATP Tour, top 100. When I was playing, I would have said, you're nuts. That player is not very good. I don't see it at all. And they did very well. So, you know, that's, that's, that's a, what I think that a parent can really take from this whole tennis experience. And I can tell you is that regardless of how well your child does in their tennis, I think the ultimate goal for any parent is try, is to try to put their child in the in the best arena that they can for their child to, to thrive and that's really all you can do and 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 let the child do their best and if your child doesn't end up being top 5 in the country or go to Stanford or UCLA or Harvard doesn't mean that the parent is a failure i mean there there's there's just way too much pressure in my opinion going on and especially with the ratings and the rankings, you know, I didn't really have that growing up. And I think about it all the time, what the kids go through. Right. And, 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 and how out there everything is on social media and, and, and this and that and, you know, trophies and rankings and and colleges and, and all of these things. And, and all it does is just add more stress. Yeah. All right. So we're coming to the end of our hour. It always goes so quick with you, Todd. But um, if people want to get in touch with you, I'm going to just put your email address up there, Todd at TWTennis.com. People can email you. And as I mentioned before, they can find you online on your website. What else do you want the parents to know about getting in touch with you? Or I know you do um, evaluations. If, if somebody wants to come down to you on a school break, how does that work? Real quick. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have parents that contact me all the time, you know, that, you know, they would like to check out my system. I had three last week, one from Minneapolis, one from uh, North Carolina. 
and then um, another one from uh, from California. But anyway, so you know, they they would like maybe to see you know maybe a different arena, see how I run my program. They're more than more than welcome to come in and and check out what what myself, Pierre, and Daniel are doing. And I believe what we're doing is is the only one in the country, which is a private school for for serious tennis players. So we're not taking on masses of kids. We run it just like you would run a private school for academics that you would send your child to. My my tennis system is, is is run like that because what gives me the joy to get on the court each and every day is to be around kids that really love tennis, that want to learn and want to achieve some great things with, with their tennis. And so that's that's why I run the type of program that that I run. Right. And there is a cost that comes with that, you know, um truth in tennis, let's let's be straight up about that. But you know, it's one of those things that if you're on the correct path and you're doing the things that really will make a difference for your child, then hopefully in the long run, you're going to end up spending less money because you're not going to be wasting money flying here, there and everywhere for tournaments that, you know, are just about chasing points or, or chasing UTRs, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, like, like, like I've said, you know, all of these things are managed and they're communicated, you know, to the parents and, and, and the students. So if, if, if it's not managed properly, the results then can be, can get thrown off as well. So that's why I always say, and I said earlier in the podcast was, I was surprised of parents asking me who their child is going to be training with in terms of other students and not who is going to be guiding me and my child through this complex junior development, yeah. right? To me, that would be first and foremost, who is going to spend the hours with my child each and every day, helping them to achieve what they would love to achieve. And so I think, I think that's first and foremost for any parent is that I want to try to find the best arena for my child to achieve what they love to achieve. Love that. Well, let's end there, Todd. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us. It's great seeing you and glad to see you healthy. Yeah, no, thanks so much. It was great seeing you as well. And I'm going to try to bring Pierre on for the next podcast. And for any of the parents that haven't listened to the podcast today that was that was put up by Lisa, it's about Polly Schulte and Pierre going going to Kentucky to train this young lady who's actually coming to live with me. So uh, I think it was a great podcast. I listened to it earlier today. So yeah, Polly was great. Yeah. Thanks for that. To my audience, thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. Bye-bye. I'm Lisa Stone and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.